We have an expert in the experience of being human today, Stephen Nyman, who's made four Olympic teams. He is a three-time winner on the World Cup in downhill. He is also an 11-time podium performer. I, I mean, I didn't know if I'd ski this long, but this year, I think my oldest is getting it. And, and it was funny, she's like, she likes to see the red. And when it's the red, it's obviously you're behind. When you're in the green, you're ahead. And uh, <laughs> one of the races, Nell, my oldest daughter, she, dad had a lot of red. <laughs> and she goes, that was a lot of red, but we still love him. <laughs> so, I mean, it's cool. She, she absolutely loves me and gets it. And it's just, it's tons of fun. If I win, great. If not, she totally loves me and thinks I'm a hero and I'm, I'm all about it. Hi, I'm Chris Whiteout. Welcome to Living It, the podcast where we join experts in the experience of being human. Be bold. Say yes to adventure. Say yes to living it. Welcome to Chris Whiteout Living It, where we talk with experts in the experience of being human. We have an expert in the experience of being human today, Stephen Nyman, who is a who's made four. Olympic teams, only got to compete in three of them. We'll talk about that. He is a three-time winner on the World Cup in downhill. He is also an 11-time podium performer. Steven, thank you so much for joining us. I look forward to getting into the story. Thanks for having me, and it's good to see you once again. It is good to see you exactly. And you know what? I'm going to do a quick aside as we do it, because I think you gave me one of the greatest moments in my skiing career. You probably have no idea that you actually did this. So this was back when we were at a, at a fundraising event in Mammoth and we skied, we had like that skier cross thing, like yeah. one person skier cross. And I remember Eric Fisher saying that he was more scared at the top of that than he was at the top of the Honenkam, which was probably generous of him to say, but I know my heart was definitely beating and I hit some bump and did like the full rodeo thing, like hand over my head or whatever. And I think you were on the chairlift above me and we're like woohoo and I was like oh well if these guys think it's cool I better keep going <laughs> <laughs> I remember that that I think that uh that fundraiser I also was skiing on powder skis in the dual GS and was beating my teammates who were on GS skis and they're like we're trying to beat you and we can't beat you and I was like I went to my my uh technician I said hey I think I'm a better GS skier on these powder skis than I am on GS skis. <laughs> we got to fix them. <laughs> got to fix something or, or move to powder skis instead exactly. of GS skis. <laughs> there you go. Could be worthwhile. Well, this has been a big week, right? I mean, just with, with the naming of the team to the Olympics, how does that go down for you? Is this, is this part of the sport? Because unfortunately you weren't named to the team. Is there still like a fingers crossed that there might be one more quota spot coming or is that kind of done or. There's been a lot of talks back and forth of if they open up more quota spots, there's been some sketchy races that occurred right before the Olympics that all of a sudden these guys who weren't even close to scoring low enough points, scored a bunch of low points. And we, we thought we'd get reallocated spots and I would make it, but it didn't happen. Um, and yeah, it's a bummer. That, that, that was a big motivator for me to work hard and, and um, get back to that level and hopefully qualify for the games. Typically in old, uh, in the past with the old rules, I would have easily qualified for the games, but I didn't. And, and it's a bummer, but 
um, somebody who created these rules was kind of asleep at the wheel and didn't really factor in a few things. But I mean, I've been to three Olympics and uh, I've done a lot of great things in my career. And, and fortunately I've already accomplished some of those things, um, but it would have been great to go to another games and shoot for a medal. I've never gotten an Olympic medal. Uh, and and that, it, it's a bummer, but you never know. I mean, I have kind of two more days on my clock, according to my coaches. And they said, once the 30th comes, you're free to go. And I'm supposed to act like I'm going to the games. I'm still testing every day. And if for some reason something happens, I'm ready to ship off to China. If not, I get to go home to my kids. And, and I'm really excited to do that. It's It's uh, been hard being away from for a couple of weeks, so. Life's good either way. How how old are your kids? Four and one, two little girls. Busy. It's, it's a busy thing. I come from four boys, and all my brothers have had girls. There's seven granddaughters, <laughs> so it's like chaos when we all get together. But you didn't really. I mean, like your mother was completely outnumbered in your household. Yeah. And now you're outnumbered in your personal household, and you're like, okay. Girls, like, how do we deal with girls? Like, what's I understand the boy thing, but how do we deal with girls? That must be such a change and probably a super cool change, I would imagine, as well. I was panicked in the beginning. I was like, oh man, I, I don't know what to do. Like, I grew up in the mountains. Um, we really didn't have many other families around us. So it was just me and my brothers. And, and I was like, girls, like, what am I going to do here? And, and one of my old, uh, uh race mates Werner hill he was like oh girls are the best you want girls because they'll take care of you forever and <laughs> i was like oh yeah 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 this is great and they do they just absolutely love me and it's it's great i would imagine you're the biggest guy in the in the household but i'd imagine you are not the one in charge no i'm i'm the biggest sucker as well so <laughs> that is awesome but you were talking about like with the olympics i mean that's kind of the carrot that was out there right you're coming back from major injury is that what you think about as you're going through the process of recovering from an injury and especially at what at 40 years old right i mean this may this gets a little bit more challenging as you try to recover when you're older yeah i tore my right achilles last year and and i had intentions to come back quickly and you don't heal. I, I tore my left Achilles in 2011. And I mean, 10 years later, you, you don't heal as fast. <laughs> so couldn't come back that quick. Uh, but I, I could come back for the Olympic season. And that was my focus. And I had, uh, I had these plans and I, I have these intentions and this vision in my head. And, and obviously, it's not coming to pass, which is a, a big bummer. But uh, to to set my sights on something, to work for something, to bring that focus and those daily goals and those long-term goals and, and really go for it. That's, that's the process. And that's what I live for. And that competition, just preparing myself and standing in that start gate and saying, okay, you're, you're ready. You can do this. Now it's your chance. Like at times you step in that start gate and you're like, am I ready? Like you have these doubts, you feel, um like you want to go crawl in a corner but then you're like why wh why do I do all this what is this for it's all this training is for this opportunity to express myself on the mountain and and go for it and uh 
that's that's what I live for. That's what I enjoy. And um, it's not over yet. And I still have a few more races left this season. Uh, I just have a big gap right now. And it's it's kind of it's kind of weird to think I'm like, oh, man, I got like three weeks to kind of figure things out. And then I get back on the World Cup tour. So um, it's it's a bummer. And I'm disappointed. And and the bummer is I typically would have made it, but out of for some reason it it didn't pan out that way and and um yeah it's it's fine life goes on and i gotta refocus and stay focused on uh the next goals and and keep moving forward it's interesting you talk about that preparation that preparation for being in the starting gate because when you're talking about that preparation for being on the razor's edge like approaching 100 miles an hour uh, I was watching a podcast with you and, and you were talking about uh, Volkoffer who, who at Volgardina went, went 88 meters off of, okay. off of the jump, 88 meters. So I had to go, cause obviously we're not as fluent in meters as we are in feet, but that's, that's what, that's 150 feet. Is that what it is? Or no, it's more. more. Uh, more. 88 meters is 288 feet. Yes, it's almost a football field. Yeah, almost a football field that you are in the air. So, so like this kind of stuff, like, I mean, you're talking about preparing and getting ready, but you're talking about things that none of us can really comprehend because we've never gone 100 miles an hour on skis. And I remember one of, one of my old coaches was a downhill guy named Mike Brown, and he talked about like finishing in, at, Hana, at the Hanukkah and that your knees start kind of like moving in just because you're going that fast, that it, the forces that happen on your body. We don't understand that. Like when you're looking at that preparation, coming back from injury, trying to be prepared, trying to be prepared as you get older, how does that focus crystallize for you? There's a lot of doubt this season. I, I came into the season, basically I hadn't raced in almost two years, year and three quarters. And it was a lot of time off at my age. I mean, I have a lot of miles underneath me and I understand what I need to do and I understand what's required, but actually doing it and that, that feeling of knowing what you're capable of is, is, uh, is what you are striving for at this level. And I didn't know what I was capable of. I hadn't felt that in a while. Uh, with the coronavirus, we're not going to South America. We're not getting really good training. We went to Zermatt. It's on the glacier. The Swiss have the good hill. They they lend us. They they let us go on this other hill that's basically six really flat turns to two steep turns to six really flat turns. <laughs> it's like not legit. So yes, I did some of that, and then we kind of get ready. You're you're never ready until you really get on the World Cup and. I thought I was fine. And I got to the first World Cup and I realized everything was wrong. And this is Lake Louise being the first World Cup? Yes, this is Lake Louise. Skiing is very complex, as you know. And um, basically the boot, my boots weren't lined up right. My skis over being gone for so long, they changed the models to a very powerful model uh, from the old one that I used to use. And 
it felt fine through training but once we got on the world cup snow that just punches back it, it wasn't fine i wasn't fine um and i was trying to change that feeling with moving the boots in different to different canting uh different ramp angles different footbeds um i was all over the place and then basically it took four race series in i was in borneo and after borneo uh my teammate bryce bennett who's also on fisher my ski company uh he he was just he, he had won the week prior and he wasn't even top 30 in borneo he really wasn't good except for that one race and i don't know why or how he did so well there um he was just like i am so uncomfortable right now and something's wrong and we we hashed it out with my ski technician and, and basically figured out our tuning was off uh we in years prior basically due to my injuries i i also i was on top of the world i had five of the last seven podiums i um i crashed and tore my acl mcl pcl lateral compartment like destroyed my knee then the next year crashed and did my other knee and then uh, a year and a half later tore my achilles so it's i haven't had a lot of experience lately <laughs> so, and uh but i have a lot of ideas in my head and i have a lot of belief and i, I still want to pursue these ideas and, and go after it and so anyway through those injuries we had kind of got in this web of mess and and the tuning had shifted and I, we totally forgot about that and we went back to this very non-aggressive tuning non-aggressive tuning is that meaning like that your skis are, are not as sharp is that like not as much of a bevel kind of thing or like an edge bevel or yeah yeah basically you detune the tip and tail a lot when when i looked good and i had my boots set up the way i do now i was so slow i was like four seconds out on these runs and i did not know what was going on and uh and it was really, really, really frustrating. And because I look good, but was slow, but then I'd put the boots in and I feel totally awkward. And, but I'd be fast, but I was not comfortable. And so I was trying to find that level of comfort yet speed. And um, finally, I found that and we went to Vengen and I was really fast in the training runs. And then I was uh, decent in the super G and then race day came around and it got really warm and I was super slow. I was like three and then four and a half seconds out. Well, you were starting back though too, right? I was starting in the back and it gets warmer and it's, it's definitely a disadvantage. It, like the sun bakes there. You don't start the race till 1230 and the sun, it was just a really sunny week and it was hard. And so I, uh, the drive home from Vengen to Innsbruck, my, I rent an apartment and my family lives in Innsbruck with me for the winter. I just was stuck in my own head. Like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Da, 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 da. And we went to Kitzbühel and um, I figured it out and felt comfortable and finally skied uh, on the most notorious course. I, I, I skied the way I wanted to ski. I executed the way I wanted to execute. Yes, I was starting in the back. Um, and the first race I had one big mistake, but other than that, I did what I wanted to do and I didn't feel awkward doing it. And, and so that gave me a lot of hope and my mind is in a different place now, but um, it's, it's a process and it takes a long time. And uh, I expected it to be much quicker, but finally I'm in a good place and it's a motivator yet it was too late and not enough results to qualify for the games. And 
so now I have a little break, be with my family, regain strength, and, and get ready to finish the year strong. People don't understand just how specific this your setup is, right? Your boots and your skis and your tuning and the flex of the ski and all this stuff. I mean, it's like you're you're like tuning a race car. Exactly. And and as a skier, you are going faster under your own under your own power than than anyone else. I mean, like as faster than any other athletes. I mean, maybe you have like some skydivers or something like that, but but you're having to execute. So so it's like tuning a race car, but then as you as you're recovering from injury, I mean, there have to be the questions of like, has my body changed? Do I have to adapt my skiing as a result of the recovery from this injury? Then there's the technical part. You said you you looked good, but you weren't necessarily fast. And that's one of those ski racing things oftentimes where it's like, you know, are you making good turns? Are you all in the right place? But you're not really doing that thing that makes you go fast. And then there's the mental side of it of like, how do I, how am I reconciling all of this stuff? And am I focused? Do I have questions, which are sort of understandable when you're, when you're not in tune with your equipment, when you're not necessarily in tune with your body, how, how did that process work? Like just balancing all that stuff and staying sane doing it i think i went insane a few times <laughs> <laughs> through this process but um what i know when i'm skiing the fastest is when when i have that feeling i have that tempo i have that connection with my equipment i i have that belief of that the preparation is there my body can withstand what i'm setting out to do i'm a downhiller and in downhill we get to have those inspection runs and then inspection runs and then also uh, trial runs down the mountain to kind of test line and see what you've got. And then we're filming everybody else and see who's the fastest. And then you can try and copy that or whatnot. But once, once you have that connection, once you understand the way your skis are going to react and everything's aligned and, and, and you have that pace in your, your body um, and that vision to where you see where you need to start the turn, and you're willing to go to those points and strive for more speed, that's great. Then you're in these scenarios where you see guys that go faster than you or you are the fastest in those sections. When, when you're trying to become the fastest in those sections and you're seeing what these guys are doing and then you go down there in inspection and you see their line they took and you're like, I, I, I don't get it, I can't do it. <laughs> that's, that's, that's hairy and that's when you're like, Am I, am I willing to do that? Am I willing to push there? Um, and, and if you're, there's times where you can try that and, and uh, go beyond yourself. And if the risk factor is too high, things can go sideways. But to me, what I really enjoy is when you, when you see that thing and if you do believe in it, and you do believe you're capable of it. And then just going out there and doing it and setting your mind to it and, and just going at it with full conviction, that's super special. Or if you see that, and to me, I've learned over the years that if I see that and I have question, back off, like find something that you know you can go to with 100% conviction and do, it, do that with 100% conviction. 
you're going to be faster doing something you believe in than uh, something with a little doubt that is supposedly the fastest line. As long as you're going with that full commitment, that's what's important. And then you're just going to drive and fight for more speed. And uh, that's, that's a special place to be in is when you have your, that's the zone. When you have that feeling, when you have that, that confidence within yourself and you're just going for it and, and putting your best efforts out there, that's, that's what's the most important thing right now. That's when you're safe though too, right? Oh, exactly. You're moving over the skis. Skis aren't taking you for a ride. You're taking the skis for a ride. <laughs> when the skis are taking you for a ride, that's, that's a little scary. That is that is a lot scary. Yes, that's that's not a good place to be. And it definitely is not a safe place to be. What are your triggers? Like when you to get yourself into that mindset? Because I mean, I've always known the start of a ski race is like where all your demons come to meet you, right? Like all your insecurities, like, oh, I'm gonna get hurt, I'm gonna embarrass myself, I'm gonna embarrass my family for generations, you know, like all this irrational thought comes into your head or like oh look at that that guy's so fast or that guy's what what gets you going in the start that you're like okay i am completely convicted i i i'm committed to what i'm doing i mean isn't it weird that we think that way though i'm glad you said that because i mean at the top of kids field this year i was just like this could be it <laughs> and then you push out of the gate and go like we're crazy then it starts beeping right this could be it beep you know and you're like okay now you've got five seconds like okay change your mindset you're like well i guess i'm going <laughs> yeah we're, we're a little nuts in that sense i guess but um i think it is that 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 doubt is what actually heightens heightens your senses it's what brings you to that state of clarity and focus when when you are going off these jumps sailing 60 meters into these highly compressive turns uh, <laughs> and then you're thinking these weird thoughts like i i was coming into the carousel turn near the top of the the uh, course in kitsville the hanukkah and i was like wow like that was really cool man you're just like thinking through these things this is weird because right up on top of the course you had all these doubts but you're like totally fine you know that's going through my head <laughs> i'm just like what are you why are you thinking about this man like focus look ahead and go go and do what you're supposed to do you know <laughs> but it just flows your head at such a quick rate because you are processing all this information around you just um anyway the triggers for me um it, it all comes down from it all comes down to preparation uh, through training, creating habits, good habits. Number one, you have to understand what is it I'm trying to do? What is skiing? What's the proper technique? Uh, how do things need to be aligned? How, how do I need to execute this? Like all those things. If you have a good understanding of that, you're going to have a good roadmap to know where to go. Um, it can be coaches that help you. It can be personal study. It can be whatever. So first have a good understanding of what you're trying to achieve. You don't jump into it like, Hey, I'm going to run a downhill. I'm going to go run kids field today. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't work. It's, it's been, I mean, for I'm 40, it's been, I'm 20 years on the ski team. So it's been, a, it's been a long time. 
uh, doing a lot of the stuff and, and creating these habits. But then in training, really, we don't have a lot of time on the hill. Like, yeah, we're going to go out, we're going to train, but we're going to take four to six runs and then you're just too tired. And those four to six runs are maybe a minute long. And so you get five minutes of training a day <laughs> and you get maybe 40 to 50 days a summer. Like it, that's not a lot. And, and they talk about the 10,000 hour rule. Like <laughs> I don't think we've hit 10,000 hours. So when you're actually trying to, to perform training wise, make sure you're doing it right. Make sure you're creating those habitual patterns to where when it comes down to race time, you're naturally going to do the right thing. It's not a hope. It's not, oh, we'll see how this goes type thing. It's like, I know I'm going to do the right thing. I know I'm going to put myself in the right position. And, and now all I need to focus on is going in that drive and just pushing for more. Uh, if, if you're in race mode and you're thinking about techniques or like minute tactics, you're, you're going to be slow. You need to just, just go and be willing to throw it down the hill and not have all those thoughts in your head. So training, create those, those good habits, create uh, that confidence through high, high repetition, and then, um, and then trust yourself on race day. And, and a lot of my key words, I have two to three micro goals a day. Uh, usually in training, it's, it's technique-based. Uh, and then in racing, it's, it's all about energy, energy base, energy movement, going, driving, active, stuff like that. It's just simple words like that, that I, that I tell myself to get myself in the mode. Yeah. Cause the opposite is not, you know, active versus passive, passive, not a good way to go when you're running downhill. How does the VR stuff work? You've done, I've, you have it at the ski team, right? Where you have like a, where you can run some of these courses, during the summertime as part of your training right is that is that what i've seen there's there's like a sim machine and it's it's interesting it's fun but when you're running the downhill on the sim machine it's nowhere near the same like they put forces on you and you're like leaning side to side but you're kind of wrapped in this confined piece of equipment right um and it's fun but when it's actually this like track that's quite wide it's it's i don't know 20 yards 15 yards wide and it accelerates you side to side and you you get some g-forces and you're in fairly proper body position uh i i use it more as step level one like once you're getting back on skis can you handle that can you help create endurance with that um are you are you once you build up that endurance and, and is your body reacting well, then okay, I can start taking this to snow. And then um, I, I, I use it, it's a simple slalom course or a GS course in that machine. And I just go side to side and I'll set a timer for a minute and then a minute and a half and then two minutes and, and just build that strength endurance up. I love skiing because it, it I, I mean, I may sound cocky, but it builds superhumans. <laughs> it, <laughs> It does mentally, physically, when you're skiing, there's, there's so much going on at a resort. I mean, you have people moving, you have the trees, you have the snow, you have the changing snow conditions. 
Um, you have the light going in and out of the shadows. You're constantly processing all this information. So you're, you're very aware. I think it creates awareness. Um, I've definitely seen some non-aware skiers as well, but it creates awareness. Um, but also the forces, the vibrations, the G-forces you face, uh, your body's off axis, the, the, the stress it puts through your core and your legs and your knees. It's, and, it, and then you're just balancing on a thin metal edge on ice, essentially. So uh, the balance and coordination it also develops is, is quite impressive. I, it's just a naturally a, a beautiful sport in that sense. Then there's the mountain. The mountain, you, you're, you start on the bunny hill and that's challenging enough. You're trying to figure out how to stand on your skis and then that becomes more natural. And then you're moving up to blue squares and feeling more comfortable there. And then you want to challenge yourself on a black diamond and go steep and get in the moguls and get in the powder. And, and you, you always have the opportunity to step it up and challenge yourself in a different way and, and gain that confidence. I think it's just a beautiful sport in that sense because it helps develop the human naturally the ice that you were talking about too i don't think that the general public understands what you ski on like i watched a couple of years ago they had a youtube thing where they opened up kitzbühel after the race and they let people they let the general public go through the start and it was basically one turn slide into the fence kind of thing out of the start like it is it is so completely bulletproof when you guys are skiing can you can you describe what the snow conditions you ski on are like in a way that that we lay people can actually understand it back in the day when i was a kid billy the kid was mm -hmm. uh doing a lot of the ski commentary and i forgot what race it was but he showed up on ice skates and he was just ice skating down the mountain like it's that hard of ice it's legit hard ice and you can rip down it on ice skates um why is it that way it's it's reactive it's the most fair it's not gonna uh break up and and get worse for guys further in the back of the pack it's it's the most consistent from the first bib to the last bib and um when you tell when you push on your ski and tell it to do something it's going to do it at that exact point because it reacts immediately and that's what's important as well if it's soft snow there's a delayed reaction um and and it can catch your skis and take them this way or that it's it's just not as safe and i i enjoy the ice i enjoy um i enjoy the fact that they shut down the mountain top to bottom on this one run and nothing's in your way except trying to make some gates and you get to challenge yourself and push yourself to the limit. Like it's, it's a beautiful thing, but the snow, our, our skis are ice hockey blades. And the first training run in Kitzbühel this year, actually, I, I went down and I looked good, but you could just see me trying to squeeze and, and balance and, and stay on top of my skis, but there wasn't a lot of power and energy in my skiing. And it was just because my skis were a little too dull. And, uh, and I asked my guy for a little more edge and, and he put it on there and I felt much more in control. So you need, you need razor blades on your feet. And I wear a cut proof underwear just in case something goes wrong and, and the ski hits you and cuts through you. Um, it's, it's the real deal and it hurts to fall on it. You're not slowing down.
No, you're actually picking up speed half the time. Yeah. But I, I, I was in kid school my a few years ago, and I like inspecting at the end. I like guys to clear out so I can see where I'm going, what I want to do. And so I was just standing at the, the start of Kitzbühel, just like waiting, waiting for things to clear. And all of a sudden, bam, I just get taken out. And I, I had no clue what's coming. And it was actually one of the head dudes at the Blick newspaper from uh, Switzerland. And he'd been down the course plenty of times, but he, he kicked out of the gate. Or didn't even kick. He probably just side slid out of the gate, but he just didn't have enough edge. And he fell over and then a ski pinged off and he just slid right into me and took me out. And <laughs> it was, it's, it's chaos, man. You got to have your head on a swivel on a lot of these courses that they ice. It is. And, and it's the grip, but then it's also the unpredictability too. Like if you don't have pressure on your skis, your skis can just drift one way or the other. And you thought you had a ski here and suddenly you don't have a ski to go on to. I mean, it's just mentally it's fatiguing to, to stay on top of your skis the whole time. You said that you're a downhiller. In your mind, have you always been a downhiller? Like from a little kid, where, was that your mindset? Was that of a downhiller? I know you won the world juniors in slalom, but were you always well, a downhiller mindset-wise? Um, you, have you read the Malcolm Gladwell books? sure yes yeah there's forgot the name of talent code maybe like they trace back uh through a lot of these high performers histories and and figure out that they created a lot of their abilities unknowingly through their youth and i grew up at sundance which is a little resort in utah and they have a front mountain and a back mountain and we'd ski from the back mountain around to the front mountain and it's this run called toilet bowl which was kind of it had a little steep section and then just really flat across this long, flat cat track. And uh, the BYU ski team would train there and I'd chase those guys around. I'm just this little kid, so I don't, I don't understand physics. I don't understand mass and, and gravity and momentum. And so I'm just trying to figure out how to glide and stick with these guys. And over all those years of doing that, I think I honed my gliding skills naturally. But um, I grew up racing on K2, which wasn't known for their downhill skis. I was, I was a slalom skier. We had a short little mountain, a short little training hill. Um, and, and I became good at slalom. And then uh, when I won World Juniors in 2002, I was actually given a pair of Fishers. And I tried them and was like, wow, I feel like a god and, and just went there and won. I, was, I wasn't on the U.S. ski team. I'd never been invited to any U.S. ski team, anything. I was on... 90s stretch pants that I got for 10 bucks and <laughs> I beat every junior in the world, which was pretty sweet. And they're just like, who are you? And uh, I had a downhill suit. I had cut the, the bottom off because it's full of holes. And I just wore that top and a backwards hat and some goggles. Like <laughs> I, was, I was a goofball, man. Um, These guys look at you like you were making fun of them. Like you show up, like, here's this guy. I mean, this is like, this is like hot dog or something like that. Like this guy straight off the street who, who goes and beats everybody at the world juniors. Are they like, who are you? What are you doing? And are you making fun of us? Oh, kind of. It was, uh, I was on the podium with Axel Svindal and Mark Berteau, both great world cup racers. Um, I mean, Axel is one of the best of all time and he was favored to win everything that world juniors and he didn't. I don't think he won anything. Maybe the combined he won. He was probably skiing World Cup then. 
yeah, he was already skiing World Cup and, and we're on the podium and he's like, who are you? And I'm like, what do you mean? And he says, have you skied World Cup? And I said, no. And he's like, have you skied Europa Cups? I said, no, I skied a couple Norams. <laughs> and he's just like, how did this guy beat me? You know, it was straight off the NASTAR hill. Yeah. Yeah. Race a bunch of NASTAR. <laughs> from there i was given the fisher skis and was like wow downhill's way easier too on these things and i'm fast <laughs> and naturally i actually broke my leg that spring skateboarding and it hurt to make quick turns so my slalom kind of took a hit but i just started skiing speed and was like wow i can have horrible runs doing this and still have a ton of fun whereas in slalom if you're having a horrible run it just just feels bad uh, top to bottom, but in speed, you're just like, whatever, it's still fun. And uh, yeah, I, I picked up speed and um, had quite a quick ascent with it. Uh, I became national champion in downhill, like Placid in 2003, maybe, 2003, 2004. Um, then I, I won the first Europa Cup since Bill Johnson, uh, 2004 as well. And then the next day in Altamark, Zalkensee, and the next day in the same hill, same race, I crashed and broke my leg. Um, and then that next year I came back, got a World Cup start right through the Noram Tour, which typically I, I, I was never good at. Like I, I really didn't ski that well because it tends to be softer snow but the last two races were in Mammoth in the spring and it iced over and I just was comfortable and crushed it. And then I, I went to the World Cup and they expected me to have a couple races and then move back down to the, the Norams. And the first race in Lake Louise, which I struggled to get top 10 in Norams, I was 17th in the world. And I was just like, this is way easier. It's ice, it's strong, the responsive snow. This is like so much better. I better make the best of this and not not uh, get back to the Noram tour where I'm just getting beat. And uh, then Beaver Creek, I was 23rd or 4th or something like that. And then Valgardena, I was really fast in the training runs, crashed, Formio, top 30. They just kept bringing me to the next race because I kept uh, scoring top 30s. And I, by the end of the year, I ended up qualifying for uh, World Cup finals in, in Borda, Sweden. So... Very cool. What was the body transformation like when you were a slalom skier? Because what, you're like 6'4", 220-ish, that kind of thing now? Yeah, I was, I was probably 6'4", 190. I was, I was a little string bean. Um, I wouldn't fit in those stretch pants anymore. <laughs> but yeah, obviously weight and momentum is key in downhill. And um, I got bigger and I lost those slalom skills. But uh Maybe after I retire, I, I might take up slalom again and hit some master slalom races. <laughs> Still in there. And I'm a slalom skier at heart. I love it. And I, I wish I could do more of it. I really enjoy uh, skiing slalom and, and the quickness and the, the on-cue adaptations. It's just like, bah, 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 I got I to gotta adapt. I got to change. I got to move. You know, it's like downhill. You have so much time to think and really focus on points and move to these points and, and take your time and and you deal with a lot of that fear whereas uh, slalom is, is athleticism it's just going out and and uh 
I don't, at least now I don't have that vision of what I need to do on the course. <laughs> it's more like, yeah, just try and make it down. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I really, I really, uh, I enjoy it and Psalm is part of my heart, but, uh, I, I am a Psalm skier at heart, I should say, but I, I just downhill is, it's free. It's wild. It's raw. It's a lot of fun. Do you see the mountain differently being a downhiller, like a slalom skier, like there, there are changes in terrain. There's a steep pitch, there's a knoll, there's a flat, there's a fall away, there's this and that. But as a downhiller, it just seems like you get to see the whole thing all, all at once kind of thing, all, like, all the contour of the mountain. Do you, do you feel like you, are you connected to the mountain in a different way as a downhiller than you are as a slalom skier? Um, even as a slalom skier, free skiing, I'd always just make too big a turns and start going too fast. So, <laughs> uh, I, I love in downhill. Yeah. That it's just, everything's open and the high speeds and you, you see different things and the way I free ski, uh, skiing powder, just looking at, uh, the banks and, and, and the terrain and how you move over that and how you handle it. I, it there's just a comfort at moving at speed. Whereas in slalom, um, I think you want to turn, you want to control your speed a lot. I remember watching a uh, Warren Miller film back in the day and Bodie Miller went to Alaska and I was like, oh, I'm so stoked to see Bodie ski. And I mean, Bodie's one of the greatest downhillers in US history, but he's also one of the best slalom skiers in US history as well. And he was just making little slalom turns all the way down these big Alaskan peaks. <laughs> I thought it was so funny. I was like, oh man, is he doing this on purpose or is he just enjoying every single pow turn? Because you're used to seeing like the, the high throttle rock and roll music, big, just super fast turns. And uh, he was just doing these tiny little slalom turns the whole way down. <laughs> and you never really know with Bodie though too, right? Because it's whatever Bodie wants to do kind of thing. That exactly. It fits him that is hysterical. Now, I read in, I think it was in ski racing a while ago that you went out to Mammoth for a camp and that's where you really learned the air part of, of the game of, of downhill. Is, is that true? Is that? So I just grew up in the, the rise of train parks. Right. Yeah. And we all like playing around in the train parks and the half pipes and, and feeling the jumps and learning the jumps. And now train parks are very, very vertical and then kind of step down any big, big drops, big jumps. Uh, in the beginning, it was a lot of length. There's a lot of length to these jumps and it wasn't really kicking you high. Uh, so you could go over them with your speed skis and, and practice your jumps. And uh, the US ski team would also run these speed camps, speed skills, or I should say the Western region team was running these speed skills camps and, and building terrain and we'd learn how to move over terrain and, and learn how to jump. And, and they ingrained those skills in us from a young age. This is even when I was on K2. So I, I had that skill set and, and I learned so much from my actual current coach here on the US ski team. It was Randy Pelkey back in the day when I was on the Western region ski team. So I don't, they don't do that as much now, but I think that's an advantage uh, that the Americans have is that ability to deal with the terrain compared to the Europeans. And um, I think we should, should continue to focus on, on those skills and develop that advantage. 
you, you see in Gardena, we have like, we do well. I've done very well there. I've had four podiums there, uh, won three times. Bryce Bennett just won there. Uh, the years that I've been on the ski team, we've had six guys in the top 10. We've had like, there's usually, there's usually a couple guys in the top 10 every race there. And that's just, it's special. The Hill calls to us. And I think it's just the development of those skills and that, that conviction and fearlessness when you're approaching a blind role and you know that you can handle it, you know where you need to go and you're going to go there with full conviction. Because if you do that, you're, you're ahead of 90% of the field right there. So um, it's, it's, it's just something that I'm, I'm good at. I've developed through free skiing and, and through that train park kind of movement and the, the skills camps that luckily our coaches put us through when we were kids. And so in time, we actually uh, now, as we started the brand American Downhillers, uh, Marco Sullivan, he, he, that was his web domain name. And I was like, dude, this is, this is cool. This is good. Like we need to create something with this. And uh, he's done an amazing job at creating this brand. And we have products and we sell shirts and swag and now polls. But uh, the big thing is it's all centered around camps for kids. And we bring the kids in in the spring to Mammoth and we teach them those skills in the terrain and how to move and how to uh, adapt and read and, and, and play in the terrain on skis. And it's really cool to see the kids that arrive in the beginning and are, are scared and don't want to move over that terrain. But by the end of the camp, they're going with full conviction and, and charging down the hill and just seeing that progression over like a five day period is, is satisfying and a lot of fun. Because it is the, it's one of the biggest obstacles. I mean, you talk about that approaching a jump and when you just see the valley below you it looks like the snow just stops and you're like am I going to jump all the way like down into the valley that to me has always been one of those moments of like okay okay relax like be cool it's all gonna it's all gonna work out if you're going in the right direction but if you if you're really in charge it's so great to be to feel like yes I know I can do this and it's even cooler when you feel like I know I can do this and I don't know if everybody else thinks that same thing. So then you have an advantage, which is what you hope for as an athlete. And, and Doug Lewis talked about it on the, on the American downhiller uh, uh, podcast where he said he was the first guy to do the camels at Gardenia. So you guys, you talk about you guys being good now in the air as Americans, but that was not always the case. And you know, it's, it's part of where you have a bit of swagger, I'd imagine, on the World Cup. Mm -hmm. and, and, and you can see it. You can see it in the guys. You can see it in their eyes and inspection. You can see it in the way that they ski. They're just, they're, they're hesitant. They're on their heels. And you're like, oh, yeah, watch this. My, my greatest performance was Gardena 2014. And it hardly snowed anything that year. It was very thin, just icy and bumpy the whole way down. So guys were already just on their heels because they felt uncomfortable. And uh, I, I won the first training run. I won the second training run by one and a half seconds or something like that. Because I didn't even ski well in the first training run and still beat everybody. Second training run, I nailed it. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm so far ahead of these guys. But I knew on the race day, somebody's got to step it up. And so I, I couldn't take it easy. I, I said, I'm going full gas. And I won by almost four tenths 
and and the next guy behind us was another second and a half so it was it was really cool um to to have that conviction to execute the way i knew i had to and needed to execute and uh and and do it like lay it down it was it was great and knowing that everybody was pretty scared and and i i i had it like i i just needed to I just had that advantage and it was a lot of fun to be that one um holding the keys i guess but that's also the goal of downhill in so many ways isn't it it's like it presents this challenge it which which nurtures fosters this sense of fear and yet if you can meet that challenge and sort of disregard the fear or manage the fear or whatever it is then you feel like you've really won. I mean, you won the World Cup, but you also won that personal battle too. Is that is that part of the satisfaction of being a downhiller? That's the greatest satisfaction. I mean, like I said, with the kids' ski camp, it's like every kid has their skill set, and and every kid's coming in with a certain level of ability and 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 fear in them. Yet, and and skiing just in general develops that confidence of of okay. I got to this level. I want to get to this level. Now I want to get to this level. You know, it's, it's downhill. It's just the pinnacle of it all. It's you're vulnerable. You're in the tight spandex suit on a sheet of ice on a thin metal edge, wearing a little bucket helmet. Like you're, you're, you're not that protected. And, and I, I said that to the guys who run our, our world cups, it's Marcus and Hannes, like they're always trying to make it safe. And, and I'm like, it's never going to be safe. Like it's downhill. Like the more you try and control it, the, the worse it's going to get. Just let us, let us go and we, we will self-regulate. Just build the jump safely and then let us go. <laughs> what do you think of the guys like Darren after retiring came back and foreran the Hanenkong? Not, it was like it was like 10 years after he retired. That's right. what was crazy. <laughs> and like hadn't trained, got out and got on his downhill skis like before they opened the mountain kind of thing and made some big turns and went fast. And and like, okay, I'm ready to go. Let's strip down and go through the hunt. Like compared with what you've been talking about where it says progression and you're prepared. And then somebody like that jumps in 10 years afterwards. What, what does that blow your mind? Uh, a lot of people think he's crazy and I, and I talked with him, but he's also, he's not going hundred percent and you have to execute certain scenarios. The, the mouth of folly, like that's intimidating and that's hard, but you, you're, you're not going full gas into it. Um, I think the intimidating part is the preparation of the hill, how icy it is, how much it just punches back at your body. And you, you don't get to train that, especially like he was going to Sun Valley free skiing in the morning going fast. Yeah, he feels the speed, but he's he's on like perfect Sun Valley groomers. He's not he's not on this bumpy sheet of ice. So uh, for him to get there and then probably have his eyes opened it was was impressive. But by race day, he was just like, I, I feel fine. And obviously I'm not going super fast. I'm just kind of cruising down the hill and 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 making sure I, I take these turns with ease. I'm doing them properly, but without a lot of risk, you know, and, and it's fun. It's, it, it's, if you had to do that and there's no, 
worry about uh about racing about winning i'd do it i think it'd be a lot because <laughs> i think it's crazy i look at it and go yeah i'm not getting in the start of a downhill again maybe you know i'll run a gs maybe yeah but but no i don't want to run series series baby <laughs> exactly it, it was funny like doing a little bit of research for on you in that your parents were both ski instructors. You and I share that, actually. My parents were both ski instructors as well. And right. my father was a teacher. My mother was a social worker. So, so it was not exactly this traditional ski racing demographic, right, where you fit into, into that demographic. And how does that work with, like, looking at your children now? So you say your daughters are one and four. And, and you kind of had to fight your way through and find a way to get out of school early so that you could go and train with the Park City team and, and those kinds of things. What, what, how, do you, how do you look at it and say, okay, I, wanna, I, I don't want them to have the same struggle that I had, or it was good that I had that struggle, or they might not even be ski racers, right? But is that, is that anything you think about when you're looking at, at your kids? Definitely. I think about it a lot. Like we didn't grow up with much. And um, I mean, the one world juniors on $10 stretch pants. I got to the park city ski swap. Like <laughs> hopefully those are framed in your house somewhere. Yeah. It's, it's uh, what I thought it taught me was making the best out of what I had. And, and I hope I can instill that in my kids, but I've done well for myself and um, my kids aren't living the way I lived, um, but my parents went above and beyond to give us every opportunity that we we could have, and we were raised in the mountains in a wonderful community, um, and the mountains taught us so much. And I think it's important to bring my kids, have my kids in the mountains, have the mountains teach them as well. I think skiing, like I said develops humans in a, a certain way and a special way and uh to have my kids ski is important if they are attracted enough to ski race great if not great saves a lot of money <laughs> um but i i want them to just find that passion in life and i want them to to find what excites them and go after it and luckily skiing was that thing for me um, my, my brothers, I was actually uh, my older and younger brother. I was the worst. My younger brother was so talented and, and incredible, but he just got bored of it and went to snowboarding and then he went to ski cross and then he was in the movies. And, and my older brother actually had an understanding of the sacrifices my parents were making. And I think he quit because he felt guilty <laughs> and I was just too naive to the situation. Just like, so focused on my goals. So um, uh, I, I just, I, I feel lucky to have had that opportunity and giving my kids the opportunity to find out what they want, what they love and, and hopefully go after it, but they have to work for it. And right now that's the phase. It's kind of like my daughter's, she wants all kinds of things, but I'm like, now you got to earn it. I'm teaching her how to earn it and work for it instead of just giving her stuff. Which is awesome, because that's some of what I look back on. Like with mm -hmm. my parents, it was, was the creativity to make it happen. And then also just the, 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 the emphasis on what was important. 
you know, the, the being in the mountains, the being together, the, the going places, the, you know, like the vacations, vacations were going to ski races, which, I mean, I grew up on the East Coast. And so, so like those spring vacations, going to ski races were often like where you put the trash bag over, you know, poke the hole in it and put it over your head and you've got the trash bag poncho because it's raining or freezing rain, rain or whatever. <laughs> it can get pretty ugly. Fun vacation. Fun vacation. Yeah, you're just hanging out on a beach, you know, doing whatever. But but it seems like that that it was such an amazing education in terms of what you're talking about, sort of the value of money, the value of the experience. But it's, it's did, expecting like I earned what I, I I earned my stuff. I bought my skis. I bought my equipment. I took care of it because I I had to earn it. I had to buy it. Um, I had to work for these things. So I had an ultimate respect. When I was a kid, a lot of kids had two, three pairs of skis, and I only had one. And I had to make do on all the events, and I had to take care of them. I couldn't just have a pair of rock skis that I'd ruin here or there. Like it was, it was, it was a respect for everything that I worked for, and I think that's um, something I'd like to instill in my kids for sure. How does that work for you now? Because this has effectively been your business. I mean, you've been on the ski team now for what twenty. Two years? Is this what it is? 20, 20 years. This is my 20. 20 years. So 20 years, that's a long time to be on the ski team. But but looking at how you work with, with your sponsors, and I'm, I'm perfectly happy if you want to mention your sponsor. We've seen Cliff a couple of times as you've, ta- as you've taken a drink there. Uh, but but like with the but like with the mortgage company and things like that, I mean, integrating that into your personal story, what's how does that fit with what your job is? Um, Premier Mortgage is, is my headgear sponsor this year, and they're fantastic. It's actually a friend of mine. Um, he started the business and he sold it to this guy, Corey. And, and Corey was looking for basically a motivational speaker. The, the mortgage business is... Uh, it, it's interesting. I sit in on these meetings and, and they fire people up and hype people up. And, and he wants me to hype people up through speech and through my results. So um, that it was more being kind of a public speaker at these events and at their team meetings. And uh, obviously Cliff Bar is an active, active uh, energy bar or, or sports bar snack. Um, I, I feel fortunate enough to had time things right. I, I made uh, the US team. I did well on the World Cup. I had one year with Darren and then he retired. And, and, and when he retired, Spider was looking for a new guy. And I mean, there we are. I'm still the Spider guy. <laughs> it's, it's uh, I, I just feel fortunate. And to me, it's those relationships. I, my story with Fisher and switching to Fisher, I've been with them ever since since 2002 it's just not many people stick with a brand that long um and Pac when when they created their helmet and goggles the goggle helmet companies were kind of stagnant and I was I was like I was actually looking into create my own brand um and then Ted beat me to it (laughs) had all these drawings and everything It, it was really cool it was fun to look into it um i was contacting some people in china blah 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 then Pac came out with their stuff and i was like this is great and and i've been on with them since day one so 
it's 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 the relationships with those companies and and getting to know the people that I know and I think those are going to just be long lasting relationships and now that I have a family and passing on the love of the sport of skiing is is super important to me uh the, and, and and portraying that through social media I mean when I was skiing there wasn't social media in the beginning and now that's like such a big part of it and I think telling those stories and and showing the love of the sport and, and the love of family and, and friendship and whatnot through skiing is, is super important and uh I just think integrating it all and 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 supporting companies that support me but also I believe in is super important I think knowing that these people are passionate about the environment people are passionate about uh their their products and they make good stuff I don't I don't feel like a salesman just selling whatever it's, it's something that I love and I think is good and I give feedback and development and, and, and I help their brand become better and that's just it's a fun part of the game and I feel fortunate to have it as my job how does that work as you're approaching I mean not pushing you by any means into retirement because it sounds like you might well continue what was it was it Bryce who said that you're going to ski until you're 50 or or, or Goldberg, I forget who what I read. Somebody said that you know, Nyman's yeah, yeah. probably going to go to fifty. You're going to be like the Tom Brady of uh, of <laughs> of the of the World Cup here. Yeah. But as as you're approaching what might be retirement, for me, the hardest thing that I've done was retire from competitive sport. It was it was more difficult than it was to break my back. Mm-hmm. And, and really, I mean, just sort of in terms of identity, in terms of who I thought I was, what I wanted to do, how, what, how people saw me as well. And, and obviously, I mean, your wife has, has done a bit of this as well, sort of transitioning from, from skiing to, to business. And I mean, she's a, she's, she's a badass in her own right, that's for sure. So uh, I'd imagine, I'd imagine you're, you're not necessarily put on the pedestal at home. Uh, but, but how, how are you looking at that? at that transition to whatever you might do next and building it through what you're doing now? Um, I mean, I've also, I've obviously acquired a lot of knowledge through ski racing and it could be endemic. It could be right within the sport, but it's also just the work ethic and the ability to think outside of the box, the ability to get creative. Uh, That's, that's what, businessmen look for and i think uh when i find that thing that i want to go after again great but what's i i I agree i think it's going to be really hard and i think um it's a special it's a special thing to be involved with is a, a group of people that are striving to be the best in the world and what I've tried to do as as of late the past several years is really uh, pass on my knowledge and and help the team become better and higher and 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 more confident. And I think there's a lot of satisfaction with that. How do you do that kind of thing? How do you do that like helping the team to be better and and more confident and those kinds of things? Uh, just pointing out their their strengths um kind of guiding the the vibe sometimes it's it's easy to get negative it's easy to be critical uh it's sometimes it's 
it's hard. Some guys don't take criticism that well, but uh, to to go up to those guys and point out their strengths and then tell them how they can become better. Uh, just simple coaching manners or also calling other guys out that aren't respecting other dudes for who they are, but who they are is who they are. And, and this is family. You have to, you have to live with them. Like you're, you're not going to kick them out or anything. You complaining isn't going to make things better. It's just, it's just controlling little situations and, and making people, helping people respect each other and, and support each other to bring out the best in each, each person. I think that's uh, the way I go about it. And, and I, I know there's so much talent around us and it's just like really reaching in, grabbing that talent and maximizing it. And skiing is one of those challenging sports too, isn't it? That you're the only one out there. I mean, granted you're part of a team, but when you kick through the start, it's just you out there. And, and, and so so many people say, oh, well, confidence, confidence is the, is the thing that allowed me to do it. You were talking about somebody running a line and going, I, I don't know if I can run that line. Like that's not the line. Whereas if you, if you have that confidence, you're going, oh yeah, no, I'm in on that line or whatever. And obviously you have to build that confidence. And it's, it's so funny because it's a sport where it's so easy to get broken down because <laughs> one person wins and, and it's often about what you're not doing well. You know, it's like, oh, you need to change this. You need to change that. And it's like, it can be, seem so insurmountable, but this idea of building the confidence. And if you're in a position where you're helping your teammates to build that confidence, it's, it's a totally different paradigm, isn't it? I mean, it's a different paradigm for sport, which can make it more fun as you're going through the difficult parts. Yeah. Well, when when a lot of the guys they, they love skiing everybody loves skiing yeah. and they're like oh man it's snowing in squaw i want to be back in squaw and i'm like you got you got a mountain shut down for you to race downhill you know like, like look at this like this is really special like focus on this thing in front of you and um just like take it in it's just such a rare beautiful thing that you're you're able to work towards and, and maximize your efforts and and um but they also they also seek entertainment and, and want it to be fun but the most fun you're going to have is when you win like when you when you're successful and when you're winning and you're on point and you're doing what you are setting out to do that is just that's so fulfilling and so much fun and, uh, and that's what I, I push each other is just push all the guys is just to try and maximize themselves and push themselves to, to, uh, to execute to their best of their ability, you know? And, and I think that's the ultimate satisfaction. And then I know we have the talent to win. And if, and if we're winning, like things are great. Like when Bryce won Gardena, it was, it was a lot of fun. We just, this is a team bonding and celebrating that thing and and Travis doing the same in Beaver Creek, getting on the podium and just kind of cracking that ice and relieving those nerves within the team. And I think it just opens people up to to actually express themselves at a at a full manner. There isn't that pressure on us anymore. 
Exactly. I'm sure. And that is where you come back as a team, because it really, you do need this support system in order to go forth and try, try to be your best. And we're unique because we're, we're, we're unique because we're, we don't live over here. We're a band of brothers. We don't go home. Like I go home to my family a little bit, but like we're, we're a band of brothers traveling on the road over here. And, and a lot of those guys don't have that support system around them. They have each other. And so if we can be together and we can pull each other up and, and when that, then that guy who pulled you up is down and you pull him up, like that's going to, it's just going to pay off in the long run. Will this make it to your daughters? You said they're one and four. So you're, you are coming to the end of your career sometime. We're not yeah. sure exactly when that might be the end of your career, but at some point you will get to the end of your career. Do you have an idea of what you want your, your daughters to say about who you were as an athlete? Um, I didn't really think that they'd really get it. I, I mean, I didn't know if I'd ski this long, but this year, I think my oldest is getting it. And, and it was funny. She's like, she likes to see the red. And when it's the red, it's obviously you're behind. When you're in the green, you're ahead. And uh, <laughs> one of the races, Nell, my oldest daughter, she, dad had a lot of red. <laughs> and she goes, that was a lot of red. But we still love him. <laughs> so... I mean, it's cool. She, she absolutely loves me and gets it. And it's just, it's tons of fun. And um, I mean, if I win, great. If not, I, she totally loves me and thinks I'm a hero and I'm, I'm all about it. Well, that has to be, that has to be the greatest gift that you could receive. You know, I mean, you're talking about winning is the thing, you know, everything's happy when you're winning, but then I'd imagine when your daughter says something like that, it has to bring as to just like bring tears to your eyes that you're like oh this is this is the coolest thing and that's what an amazing human being who you can call your daughter so yeah uh steven thanks so much for joining us for just you know this is this has been a ton of fun just to talk to you about the stuff that you love and that you do so well and thanks for sharing it with all of us thanks chris thanks for having me it's always a pleasure. And thank you to all of you for tuning in. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation. The greatest gift you can give us is to like us, to follow us, and to tell your friends. You know, you can watch this on YouTube. You can listen to it on Apple or Spotify and anywhere else you might find podcasts. So thanks a ton. We will see you for the next one. And again, Stephen, thanks again and have a great rest of the year. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, Chris. Thank you for joining us. Please subscribe to Chris Whitehall Living It for more stories on the adaptive community, the Paralympics, artists, athletes, entrepreneurs, experts in the experience of being human. Also follow us on Spotify, Apple, Facebook, and Instagram. I look forward to seeing you next week.